It's time for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. Welcome to episode 626 of the Wayne's Comics Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. This week, breakout writer Chris Condon talks about adapting Barry Gordon's acclaimed novel Night People for Oni Press. Chris is best known for That Texas Blood and The Enfield Gang Massacre, among other excellent works, and he discusses bringing the four-issue Night People miniseries to your local comic shop. The book is described this way. Night People is Beyond Noir, a parable that embodies both a revision of the past and riddle for the present, informed by the church on the one hand and the church on the other hand that portends a future wherein whomever is left on the planet are cast forth on an even more mysterious and perilous voyage on a ghost ship sailing into the Sea of Red. Chris talks about bringing this novel to comics, who the characters are, and what we can expect from this high-power Oni Press offering in the months ahead. Don't forget to let your local comic shop know that you want to order this book right away. I'm sure you're going to enjoy that all that Chris has to say. There's a lot to get to in this episode, so let's get on with the show. For some of us, it's always midnight. Night People is a pulsating world map of the American subconscious that follows an uneasy company of wanted criminals, cartel killers, and lost souls. It's a a four-issue series that's coming from Oni Press, and it's based on a novel by literary icon Barry Gifford, and the writer of the series, the person that's going to translate it into a comic, is Chris Condon, who is known for That Texas Blood and the Enfield Gang Massacre, among other good things. So how you doing, Chris? I'm, I'm well. Thanks for having me on, Wayne. I appreciate it. It's good to talk with you. Um, I'm just kind of curious, because the, the way I understand the description, you know, is that uh, the, it's based on a novel by Barry Gifford. Correct. But in some places, you're listed as a co-writer. Did did he write the the book with you, or did you translate the the novel? How'd that work? Yeah, so it's so Barry wrote the book. The reason I think that he's being credited as a co-writer is because I mean, this is very much Barry's work. I'm the adapter of it. I'm the one who wrote the script, but it's Barry's work that I'm adapting, and it's it. I remained very faithful to his work. I remained, you know, what I did was I sat down with the book and I read through it a couple of times and I took notes and I highlighted passages that I liked and especially character descriptions and uh, setting descriptions and, and, you know, the order of scenes. And I kind of dissected it um, upon rereading it and rereading it and studying it and getting to know it and getting to know the characters. And I felt that, uh, yeah, I just wanted to, I wanted to include as much of his stuff as I could. And I, I found ways to kind of, you know, boil down his 70 pages of prose down to 30 pages of uh, comic book script and, and found a way to, to tell the story visually 
in sequential order, obviously in, in panels and, and uh, you know, I kept as much of his dialogue as I could. Um, and just, yeah, it's just, it's, it's very much his vision. I just figured out how to, to bring Barry into comics uh, is really right. what it comes down to is that, you know, I, I found a way to, to you know, it, there's a little bit, there's definitely my voice in it, but it's at the end of the day, it's, it's Barry's world. And I, I, that's how I wanted it to be. Good. Well, that, that explains that. Cause I was a little unclear on all that. So that's good to know. Now, the one thing that's a little different from other comics is that each issue has a different artist or a different art team on it. Do you yeah. want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, that kind of came about right from the start when I was first talking to to Hunter Gornson and Sierra Han about uh, about the uh, the book. I mean, I, I was talking to them about it, and and we were we were thinking, would it be best with one artist throughout to have some sort of continuity to it? And my argument for doing that was that I'm already the continuity as the writer. It would be really interesting to have a new artist on each new issue um because also you know it's all in the, set in the same world and it's technically it's you know the novel is is a novel but it really is four short novellas that have characters that overlap um and places that overlap so like there will be a, a you know a bar that appears in the first story and the and the fourth story or you know that kind of stuff um which is fun and it's fun to play with that, but it's, it's even more fun to kind of see different artists approach um, this. I mean, it's, you know, you see that in big two books, you know, when you have a different artist on Batman or Superman or whatever. So it's kind of fun to do that with a, a, a little adaptation of, of Barry Gifford. Uh, and yeah, so we, we basically, we just decided that it was each story was uh, had its own flavor and had a unique t- uh feel to it so we figured why not do that with the artist as well and that's really where, where it came from was just sort of uh, trying to figure out how um you know how to make each chapter unique and, and you know it really was would be great with an with a different artist on each issue and that's that's what we did and it's there are four fantastic artists and they're all completely different art styles and it's going to be a really cool series do we know who the artists are at this point Yes, and I'm afraid I'm going to butcher names, so I'm not going to. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Levels on issue one. Mm-hmm. Um, Alexander Tefengi, I believe, is the second. I'm not sure if I'm saying his name correctly. And then we have RTM. Oh, I, I again, I don't. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to scrub people's names. I don't want to say them out loud. But we have four fantastic artists. They're from all around the world, and it's it's that, that's another part of it that's really exciting. And that's one of the things that's always exciting about comics is that you're always working with people from around the world. Um, you know, we all do this from our houses and or studios. And so it's, it's really cool to be able to work with people from varied backgrounds and, you know, different cultures. And that's, that's one of the things that was kind of exciting about. So in the, in the second issue, there's uh, allusions to John Brown, the abolitionist um, from, you know, pre American civil war. Um, Alexander, you know, was not familiar with John Brown. So I had to introduce Alexander to, to John Brown um, just because, you know, he, he's not American. He doesn't know, you know, the American culture. So it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's an interesting sort of uh, thing to be, to, to be doing, you know, to be taking. Mm-hmm. 
Now, let me read some of the descriptions of this series. Uh, one place it says, Noir Bleeds Neon. Mm-hmm. It's one place. And another one says, There are four interlocking tails punctuated by lipstick, sweat, and blood. I find that interesting. And then it also says it's uh, tales of desperation, fanaticism, and murder. Mm. So, wow. <laughs> All kinds of wonderful stuff. Yeah. Uh, but it's just, just amazing. It looks like covers are done by J.H. Williams III, Joel Jones, Jacob Phillips, and others. That's on, that's on the first issue. The, the second issue is... Uh... Uh, we we J- Jacob Jacob is the is the through line, which is really fun. And then mm-hmm. we have Jason Sean Alexander for issue two as well. I'm not sure who's on issue three, but I have seen Jake's because Jake and I are collaborators on Texas Blood and Enfield, so we keep we stay in touch. You know, we talk pretty much every day. So he'll send mm-hmm. me the covers when he does them. Um, I'm not as close with the other artists, so I don't get to see, get to see them necessarily until Oni sends them to me. But, uh, but yeah, so the, the first set of covers are, are the ones that you mentioned. And then we have uh, Jason, Sean, Alexander, and, and Jacob on the second. Wow. Okay. So there's lots of good artwork in this. If you like variety in art, it sounds like this series is going to be one that's going to be worth picking up. Um, there's one thing, too, I wanted to mention, too. I, I've interviewed somebody else involved. This is part of that Oni Press um, event kind of thing that they're doing to kick off 2024 mm-hmm. and i forget the title of what it exactly is but it's something that uh, uh each month is going to introduce a, a new very different kind of uh storytelling mm-hmm. so that it kicks off 2024 really strongly i interviewed the uh jill who did the one the, the, the murder mystery uh, one that was coming out, and really, I, I'm interested in all these good things. It's really fascinating how these kind of things do. I like it when comic companies take chances, and this sounds like a really good chance to take. So I really love that uh, it's doing that. So it's just, it sounds like it's just an amazing kind of thing. I'm, I'm going to be fascinated to see how this is is it shows up in comics form. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that kind of all kind of boils down to, A, I mean, the creators, obviously, they're the ones creating the, the comic books that you're going to be reading. But, I, you know, at the end of the day, I think what Oni is doing is bouncing back from a rough period, and they're doing it in such a strong way. And I don't think I'm, you know, stepping out of line to say that I think that, you know, it was it was something that was publicized, that they're, they're, they were going through a rough period. And you know what? It, that's How does the company come back from that? Well, they come back from it like this, coming out strong out of the gate. And who better than than a cheerleader and a, and a brilliant creative mind himself as uh, Hunter Gorenson, who's running Oni right now, and uh, a fantastic editor in Sierra Han, who's overseeing everything. I mean, it's, it's really them that are... are you know, spearheading that and making sure that uh, Oni is something special going forward and not just, you know, another publisher, which is something that, you know, could, yeah, if they were just releasing books and just doing licensed properties, they could just be another publisher, but they're doing interesting things and they're taking chances. Um, and that's, that's definitely one of the things that Night People is. And that's uh, one of the things that uh, Hunter really wanted to do Night People for in the first place was that he had a, a deep love for this book and he had been wanting to adapt this for a long time and it just so happened that the circumstances uh, were uh, in our favor here and uh and you know 
I, I was available and I wanted to do it and he wanted to do it with me and it just, it worked out. Um, but yeah, it's really exciting. Now I have to tell you, I've been a big fan of Oni Press for quite a long time. In fact, one of my all-time favorite books is from Oni Press. I don't know if you ever heard, there was a book called Gorillas, mm-hmm. and it's not G O R I, it's G U E R R I L A S, and it was done by Brown Revel, and it's all about in the Vietnam War there was a a, a unit of gorillas that had been trained as a military unit and they were over in there and they act they were very human you know they 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 smoked cigarettes they did all kinds of stuff and a human who is a medic ends up in their group his his thing all uh, his original group all, all ends up getting killed except for him and he ends up being part of them and it was so interesting you know how that was put together just just a tremendous tremendous story something that just it made me rush to the comic store every time i knew that was coming out because boy Mm -hmm. it's just it's a wonderful amazing tale you know that uh, you start to feel for the gorillas you know the different kinds of of gorillas and how they interact with each other and with the human and i just when it was all over with i was just like wow i i never expected to read that kind of story in a comic so it was just i'm used to only taking chances and so this book didn't surprise me that it came from only because that's just that book set me up for all the good stuff that only uh, tends to do so i i i'm 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 really anxious to see how this book comes out this is going to be something great now i should tell people people say i never get to this soon enough so let me say this this is scheduled for stores on march 6th this year it's we need to mention too it's a mature readers only book and i think that's kind of obvious uh from the description we're doing but uh, some people it's a comic. Give it to a kid. No, I don't think this one. Not not this one. But it's really something special. Yeah, this is definitely not for kids. I, I haven't read Gorillas, but I mean this. That sound, I've heard of it, but I mean it's it sounds like it's a, an amazing book. And I, yeah, I'm a big fan of uh, apes and and like I got a Planet of the Apes movie poster staring at me right across the room. So I got but, to interview the creator on uh, here and it. And it was, it was, he told me so many interesting things is that they, that I didn't know this, but that sometimes when people used to go to zoos and they would smoke cigarettes and they would throw the cigarette down near the, near the, the cage where they were, they would reach out and get the cigarettes and start smoking it. And I was like, whoa, I said, I never dreamed that was the case. Uh, but he said, yeah, yeah, they always say that they tell people who smoke, stay away from the cages, particularly the gorilla cages, because they will pick it up and, and, and get addicted to it. If they if there's a cigarette nearby to them, so see all that kind of stuff to me was just amazing. You know, uh, it's just it's just a fabulous book. So anyway, enough about gorillas. We got to talk about night people and stuff. So it's all kinds of good things. Just to just to let you know that all the wonderful things that Only Press can do. Just uh, if you like variety, like I do in my reading. Uh, I, I tend to look for only press books, so I think that's, that's pretty good. Now, the first book, uh, there's a slight description for what's going on. Since it's in there, I, I hate to spoil stuff, but I want to talk a little bit about the, the first book because it's really an interesting thing. It says, and, and you can tell me if this is not exactly accurate. It says, a pair of inseparable lovers named Big Betty Stalkrup and Miss Cutie Early are out on parole using their newfound freedom to purify the world of men's evil influence. Uh, 
They leave a trail of mutilated bodies in their wake as the psychotic dimensions of their star-crossed romance and the twisting paths that first led them to their fateful meeting come into view. Their experiment in righteousness culminates in the kidnapping of Rollo Lamar, a kindly attorney whom Betty and and Cutie abduct just to see if they can re-educate at least one man on the planet before the demise of civilization. Okay, that I got to read. I, I got to read that. That it's, is it's that's an amazing story. It's a twisted story, and I love it. It's uh, it's dark, and it's twisted. It's weird. It's uh, very American, is what I'd, <laughs> I like to, as I like to say. It's, it's a very American story. Uh, dark, twisted. Um, it, it's, you know, I think what Barry was writing about in, if, if you read any of the, the sort of blurby stuff that I wrote um, for Oni to, to use for promotional purposes, you'll likely hear me mentioning the American dream. And I think that that's what Barry was really writing about when he wrote Night People was about the degradation of the American dream at the tail end of the 20th century after, you know, the, the, the struggle and strife uh, of Americans and, and how, you know, it was essentially an exhausted country towards the end of the 20th century, um, especially in the South. And so that's one of the things that he was um, looking at when he wrote the, the novel and he did it in this sort of wonderfully Pinchon-esque uh, Coen Brothers way that he has. Uh, it's a very sort of unique, surreal uh, sort of zany worldview uh, that is the perfect way to look at the, the in, incredibly dark uh, things that happen in in our real world. Um, so it's it's a really interesting thing to be playing with as as a person who's you know who's written a noir story and, and has written some neo western stuff and you know worked on some stories that are set in the South. So it's, it's fun to be able to play in a, a sort of new arena, but in like similar trappings, I guess. You know who this reminded me of? Uh, Cause I live in Florida. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of Eileen Warnos. Mm-hmm. She was a yeah. female serial killer here in Florida. Uh, and before that time there had not been at least that we know of a female serial killer. So they're out looking for a male going around and she was going around she would hitchhike on, on, on main thoroughfares and she get picked up and well let's just say if, if she didn't like the guy that picked her up and or they did something that she wasn't interested in uh that was the end of that that guy uh, yeah i mean there's, there's definitely a lot of that in night people there's also um so if if you can imagine her Eileen Warnos as a uh, religious kook who uh, believes that uh, Jesus was a woman and that Jesus is telling her to kill men, then that's night people. Uh, it's it's a very intense, um, very um, yeah. It's it's uh, all that I can tell you is that it's a twisted view of of America. And it's, it's a, it's a very, you know, it's, it's hard hitting, but it's also, it, it is just sort of, it's, it's like watching uh, Oliver Stone's Natural Born Killers. It's got a similar vibe to, it's that, that's like kind of how I think of it is it's got this um, almost 
like a mass media interpretation of what what was happening in the world. And so, you know, that's that's one of the things to expect um, as well is that this story is set in 1991. So it's all, you know, tail end of the 20th century. This is not modern day. This is, you know, looking back 30 years, you know, 30 plus years um, and sort of examining that time with, you know, modern eyes. So it's it's an interesting thing. I don't know. I, I kind of got off track a little bit, but that's okay. No, that's around the time that Eileen Warnos was doing her thing. Yeah. Was, uh, so that that's not, not a thing that I'm fascinated by, and I don't know uh, if you want to talk about this, but like I said, female serial killers were not well known mm-hmm. until about this time. What was it like to basically tell these two character stories, who are? You know the 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 regular female character in comic books is Lois Lane, and Lois Lane is always getting in trouble she can't get out of, and Superman has to come and rescue her. And so when there's female leads, I am always fascinated because I don't know what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. Male leads, I've read men in char in in comic stories for decades, and I have to say, I it, once they. F- jump into a certain lane, I have a very good idea where the story is going to go based on past experience. But these two characters, I mean, based on what they're doing, they're trying to re-educate males, mm-hmm. which is going to be something interesting. <laughs> uh, what was that like to, to do that? To, how far in their heads did you have to get, and especially you know, the female aspect of this, what was that like to do? They're very... Um they are characters who have dealt with a lot of trauma in their life. So that's a part of them and, and, and sort of what has radicalized them. Um, if you, if you want to think of it in that regard is, is that this is a, their current, their current belief system has been inspired by their, their life experience. And from a certain perspective, I mean, it's, it's a fairly dark perspective, but, it, you know, if you're a writer, you sometimes have to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. And, I mean, from a certain perspective, I can understand why they would react or lash out um, or react badly to what uh, they experienced. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it's an interest. It was definitely an interesting um, set of set of uh, circumstances and, and two interesting characters that Barry created. Um, so I didn't, I mean, I didn't have to do too much, uh, you know, poking around in their brains because I think Barry did a lot of that for me. Um, and all I had to do was set them loose in a comic book world. So uh, it was very much Barry that, that did the heavy lifting on them. Um, but it, it was interesting to write them and to try to, you know, figure out their relationship and, um, they do have a relationship together, so that's that's the other thing is that they're you know through these two characters, it's a little bit like Mutt and Jeff, you know. Uh, <laughs> so it, it's it's an interesting relationship between the two of them. It's a little bit of a mentorship. It's also a physical relationship, um, and and uh, and they're also killers, <laughs> and so um, it's it's an interesting. Uh, it's it, it's an interesting duo to 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 write and, and to bring to uh, to comics. Um, I you know there's not too much like them and I uh, out there right now and I, I think that that's a really cool thing um, to be uh, exploring characters like Big Betty and Miss Cutie. So 
Now, well, I got to ask. Uh, normally, in relationship, one tends to be a leader, and the other one tends to be the follower. Mm-hmm. Is Big Betty the leader in this group? Big Betty is the leader in the group. Yes. Okay, so that's good to now. The one question that puzzles me, and I, I, I don't want to get spoiled, but I don't know if you can tease this without spoiling. It says they want to see if they can re-educate at least one man on the planet. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> how? Well, let's just say that they've been leaving a uh, trail of dead behind them, so it hasn't been working. Okay, but but what are they trying to accomplish? Well, I mean, are, are they trying to have it work? <laughs> are they trying to make uh, the man more more female like? Are they I trying think, to? I think that they, no, I, what they want is essentially to eradicate men. That's, that's exactly. so reeducating is is that kind of a. Um, if, is that well, a key? I think what they're trying to do is, yeah, they, they are trying to uh, build, rebuild world in, in a female image. And that's, that's, that's what they're trying to do. Um, okay. And that's their, that's their MO and that's what they're, you know, setting out to do. And as they ride along they're they're in your neck of the woods, they're in Florida, uh, oh, where boy. we meet them in the story. And uh, they've been, Release. They were in. Uh, they're in Louisiana, and they're on their way to Trocadero Island, which is uh, this uh, place where there's a bird sanctuary, and that's where they're going to hole up um, and perform a re-education on Rollo Lamar. And uh, Rollo Lamar is he might just be the moral rock that they cannot penetrate. Hmm. Because they could say he's a kindly attorney, which is an interesting mix of terms. I don't know many kindly attorneys. <laughs> he is a he's he's a he's a lawyer with a with a heart of gold, I guess when it counts. Okay, um, that, he's definitely got flaws as as all as all humans do, but uh, he's I would say that he's got he comes to you know he's uh, he was an orphaned uh, individual from when he was a, a child and, and, uh, he, one of the things that he does is he, he helps, uh, run an orphanage in Florida. And that's in fact where he's going when, uh, when he encounters big Betty and miss cutie. So, um, yeah, so he's, he's, uh, he's an interesting character as well. And that, again, that goes back to Barry and what Barry wrote. Uh, he wrote a lot of interesting characters, and their dialogue is all very interesting. And again, that's why I tried to keep as much of the dialogue as I could. I'm obviously cut it down here and there because you don't want you know gigantic balloons <laughs> filled with dialogue. It's when I you know I'm a writer, and I you know when I read some comics, I you know when I see dense dialogue, I sort of bristle at it because I'm just I love I love a swift moving visual feast. Um, and you know, I, not that, you know, when a great comic is wordy, I don't really mind. Um, but you know, I tried to boil down a lot of what Barry does too, is, I mean, he does speak visually an awful lot, um, but his dialogue is quite good. So what I tried to do was try to find that right balance between dialogue and and the visual and try to, you know, find a way to, to keep it brisk and to keep it moving and to, you know, cat have enough character um delivered in the dialogue to to really kind of capture that feeling 
that would be great because there are some comics and certain comic writers who I could name, but I won't, uh, who have lots of pages that are largely gray in appearance, shall we say. Lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of words. And if I am reading a book by one of those people and I come across a gray page, my instinct is to turn the page and they'll explain something later on so I don't have to read through all those words. But I... I'm I'm always comics are a visual medium and I, I and I know it's hard when people are writers and people wanna you know, they wanna make their imprint on things and wanna show what a great writer they are. They feel like more words is better and I have to say uh, less words I've always found to be harder to do than more words. It's easy to to go verbose, at least for me. When I'm doing something I wanna write, I if I start turning out paragraphs of stuff, I'm starting to go, whoop, I better slow down here. Yeah. Somebody else is hey, not, not going to read it. So is that kind of the approach here? Are you kind of like boiling down some of the stuff Barry did to the um, more succinct parts? Yeah. I mean, in part, I, I also just, I mean, that's something that I do typically anyway in whatever I do. Um, I If you've read that Texas Blood Volume 3 specifically, um, I mean, we do it in all of our stuff. We, we, you know, we allow a lot of breathing room in our comic and, um, with, uh, volume three, I sort of wanted to really push that. And so it's a largely silent comic. Um, and it's all just visuals and, and, um, just suspense built on those visuals and, and, you know, from the feedback we've received from readers, I mean, it's, it, it worked. And I think, you know, to a large extent, Enfield is the same thing. Um, and even in the Marvel story I did for Crypt of Shadows, I, you know, my initial script had no voiceover in it. The voiceover was a note from Marvel because that's, you know, that's a Marvel thing. They like to get you in the head of the, the characters, which is a, you know, fair point. Um, but, uh, you know, I always try to, I don't really care for i mean i you know if the you know i i'm a, as much a fan of you know raymond chandler and all those guys so i love when brubaker he does his you know voiceover in the caption boxes and that's you know that's all great and but you know i i do find it is difficult and it's but it's so much more rewarding at the end of the day for me uh if i can just because it because it, it's not just it's not just writing a script that's primarily visuals uh, lacking dialogue. It's also the fact that you have to write it in such a way that it's going to translate to the artist in such a way that they're going to be able to nail it. Right. So right. I, you have to set them up. It's, it's a layup, you know, it's, you have to set them up perfectly. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, it's, it's an alley you, they're, they're not going to get, they're not going to, you know, they're not going to score the point unless you, uh, deliver so it's 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 a it's a it definitely is a difficult thing but i think it's very rewarding and absolutely with night people that was the case i mean it's there i mean there is dialogue there's certainly dialogue but again it's just you know in trying to i mean i can think of especially the the last few pages in night people in the first issue which is titled night people so the, the first chapter is called night people the second is called the secret life of insects um but uh, in in the first story, Night People, the last couple pages are very much visually driven, and, and Brian Level is is a master at that. So I, I was really lucky to have him on this first issue because uh, 
what I wrote, he amplified. Um, he loves to lay into small moments. Um, it, the, the way that the chapter opens, there's a, a janitor uh, for an ironworks who's sort of drumming his fingers on a on his mop handle. Um, and that was the thing that I wrote in the script that was just sort of a throwaway mention. And Brian latched onto that and made it a, a beat and kept bringing it back. And like, I, you know, this was a thing that Brian and I talked about on the phone actually before he ever started drawing any pages, um, which was, you know, we got on the phone and he just wanted to know what I thought about, you know, collaboration and like sort of how I think of collaborating with somebody. And I, I just told him flat out, which what I always tell people that work with me is that the script is the starting point. I don't expect you to draw everything that's in the script. I expect you to use that as the blueprint to make something better. And then once it comes back to me and I'm doing letters and all that, like then I will, you know, if I have any notes or anything like that, like I will have them. But overall, you know, this is your playground too. play, you know? So, um, you know, I just set it up for you. That's really, that's how I think of it is that it's, you know, and again, what you were saying, what I was, you know, comics is a visual medium. Why not let the visual shine? You're a writer, you know, you're just, you know, you're, giving them the canvas with, you know, you might have sketched in, oh, there will be a mountain here, there will be a house here, character here, character here, but they're really the ones who are bringing it to life, you know? And mm-hmm. again, if your script is good enough, if you write, you know, characters in such a way, it, it it's going to sing, you know? And I think mm-hmm. that that's one of the things that I love about this medium. So did the, the, the artists read the novel? Uh, as well as as your script, um, or I don't think any of them read the novel? I don't know. Um, I know Brian didn't. Brian was working off of my script. I do know that. Um, okay. But it, whenever there's a question about something, a I go back to the novel first, and if Barry didn't give a description, I will likely pull something from my own. You know, wh- whatever I end up thinking that it should look like. So, for example, there's a bar that appears um in issue two and i was asked you know what does this bar look like and i was like well i think it might look like this you know and so it sort of looks like a new orleans bar um but uh yeah i if if but if i always kind of what i do so we are in touch with barry so barry is in touch and he approves everything that comes through that's another thing um Uh and so barry will you know if if i see something and i say oh what should maybe look like this i will often always say you know, but maybe Barry has a, has a thought as well, you know, and he mm-hmm. doesn't usually says whatever we're doing is fine, but you know, it just in case if he has a very strong opinion about something, he will say something. So That's cool. um, it's very much Barry's work again. Hmm. Okay. So, um, well, I'm not optimistic that Mr. Lamar is going to get re-educated successfully <laughs> in the well, first I'm not, issue. I'm not saying anything. I'm not. No, there's no. <laughs> Got to read the book to find out. That's the, the whole point of this thing. So, well, I'm just sort of curious because each one is a separate story. Is there any kind of unifying element that goes through them, or are they literally? Could they literally been their own each individual issue? Uh, so. I mean, they are, they're all their individual issues. So that's, that's one of the things that I think is cool about it. But I mean, there's characters that appear in all, all four stories or uh, all three stories 
or the first three stories, I guess, there's a character named Easy Earl who follow who's a follow through. You follow him through all the uh, all three issues, and then uh, and then in the fourth issue, we have a character who was in the third issue. Um, and so yeah, so it's it's interesting in that way that it is sort of they're almost standalone, but there is a, a thread that runs through them all, and that thread is that. Maybe it was men that screwed up the 20th century. <laughs> and that's sort of what the, the threat is. And that, so that really, that's what the threat is. That is, uh, you know, women are noticing. Men's evil influence. Exactly. Yeah, so that's okay. So that's, so, okay, I don't want to give away too much, but are we seeing women trying to correct men's evil influence in each of the stories? That might be an accurate uh, description. Okay, all right. So we got to read the books to to know. So that's one thing we got to do. I can give you. I mean, the the novel is out there if you wanted to read it. Um, I I do wonder if people do read the book. I haven't talked to anybody aside from Hunter and the other folks at Oni that have read the book. But I do wonder what uh, you know readers out there in the world will think of if they've read the book, um, the the novel. I wonder what they're going to think of our comic adaptation because I do think that it's. It's very faithful, um, and I just I do wonder how it's going to feel to them uh, in terms of translation. So, That'd be fun. Yeah, it's going to be fun to hear. Thing. I'm very excited. I, I've never done a thing like this where I'm adapting somebody else's material, um, so it was exciting in that way that I'm you know playing with somebody else's tools, um, and you know in a way it was freeing. Uh, because somebody else did all the heavy lifting of telling the story, and I just had to figure out how to put the pieces back together in order to make it a comic. You know, so mm-hmm. in that way, it was it was fun. It was exciting. It was a you know, it was a thrill to work with Barry and and to have him read my scripts and you know give me the thumbs up and say this is you're the guy to do this. I'm like, well, this is cool. So I'm I'm pretty excited about it. So is there any chance that you'll be working on other, translating other Barry Gifford works into comics in the future? Well, you know, we haven't talked about it, but I would definitely be into it. I would love to. I love the worlds that he creates. I love the characters that he writes, and I love the way that he writes them, the way that he has them talk, um, and how they inhabit their world. I, I think he's, he's a really exciting author, and I, I, you know, I hope I'm able to play in that sandbox again. That'd be fantastic, um, but there there are no plans at the moment, unfortunately. Okay, well, it reminds me that I I know of at least one writer who, when he watches television shows, he often writes like novels based on TV shows or on or has even written comics based on TV shows, and so he can't watch a TV show without having a notepad next to him because he's got to write. When he thinks of ideas that he might need to use, he writes them down so that should something gel or somebody want to have that, he can actually turn those into comics or into novels or something that in that in that universe. So I don't know, is do you I mean, now that you've done this and of course you're used to writing your own stories, uh is this did this stretch different muscles than you're used to using? Was is this something that you would like to do? Maybe alternate between writing your own stories and adapting other people's stories, or what's your feeling going forward? 
Um, you know, I, I mean, I don't think that it's something that I want to do all the time, but it's, it, it's an all new skill set. It's a completely different skill set. Um, I did a, I did a story in, uh, blue book 1947, I believe it's called it's the second iteration of blue book for James Tynan. Um, I did a true weird story with, with Jacob Phillips and that was, uh, another sort of interesting thing to to do and that that one's out in april um and that was based on it's so it's a true weird story so the the whole point of it is to sort of you know it's true crime but like weird stuff like ghosts and like sasquatch and all that kind of stuff um and what i wrote about was you know personal experience so there's a there's a road and i grew up in new jersey and i'm in new jersey right now there's a road up in in north jersey called clinton road and it's like the most haunted road in the in america in the united states they say and uh you know but it's when you're when you grow up in new jersey that's where you go when you're in high school you go there and you, you try to see something you try to have a weird experience and so that's what i wrote about for that one and so that was another you know unique experience was doing that and and that was stretching new muscles and different muscles and you know that there was i mean there might have been some violence and and some crime involved in some of the stories that it's it's essentially four kids in a car telling stories and smoking pot uh and that's like that's like the stories that they're they're just telling stories um about you know clinton road and that's that's what the 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 short story is. Um, so that was stretching new muscles because that was all true stuff or, you know, at least in terms of the legends, the legends were real legends. So like in terms of, you know, that people tell them. Um, but uh, so that was stretching new muscles. And then to be doing this, because I'd written that sometime last year and, and uh, night people was later in the year and then into this year, I've just finished up. Um, and th- that was that was stretching some muscles that I hadn't stretched before. And then this is a completely new set of muscles, which is again, you know, taking somebody else's work. Cause you know, I always do a lot of research anyway for whatever I do. I, you know, whether it's even just sometimes just watching like feature films, I watch like a lot of movies that are set in a certain genre. For example, if I'm doing like a noir thing, I'll watch a lot of noir and, or, you know, I'll watch things that are, you know, if there's a documentary about like a, a you know, certain time period, whatever mm-hmm. books, I'll read books, I'll read stories, articles, whatever. Um, for this, you know, I, I have to, there's no real research aside from this one tome, <laughs> this one book. Uh, and so I really, and it's, and it's this one author and, and he's involved. And so you really have to do something that's going to feel like him and, you know, be be good enough to be approved by him and uh stay true to his vision and so there's a lot to uh there's a lot riding on your shoulders in a way um but Mm -hmm. also like i said before you know this is this is uh you know the the foundation is berries and we just built a house on top of it you know so it's Mm -hmm. it's uh a completely new muscle (laughs) that I've been exercising here, but it's, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's difficult, uh, in some ways, but it it was, I really just think that it's fun, you know, I mean, it's fun, you know, Well, the one thing I hope, I hope that this comes out collected right around Halloween. 
is what I hope. When the collected edition is coming out, but it that it would be it would be a fitting time for it. Yeah, it'd be a great great time for this to come out right around there because it sounds <laughs> it it's the other one was more of a supernatural. This is much more of a suspense setup. It sounds like you know with the stuff going on. It doesn't seem that the ghosts are. And the other things involved with this, but uh, it's going to be suspenseful. And that's very real, yes. Okay, because there's going to be something else to see. Is it really going to be something like that? So, okay, so Night People, number one, again, we want to mention it's going to come out March 6th. You want to be sure to let your store know that you want it so they can order it properly and make sure that you get your copy because it's going to be something really interesting to see. It's going to be something fun to read. You've mentioned a couple of other things that you've been working on. You mentioned Blue Book, 1947. I think that's coming out soon. Are there, are there other books that are coming out or other projects you're working on we should know about? Uh, there are some other things that I can't really talk about, but uh, there is more stuff coming. That's all I can say at the moment. Okay, that's that's good to hear. If somebody says, I don't have anything, I don't know what's going on, then I'm, I worry. But <laughs> if you say there's stuff I can't talk about, that that's a good sign that there yeah, are things yeah. in process. I are going to be taking a year off from Texas Blood, but we will be back. Um, we're doing okay. something else together, um, which is exciting. And I, 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 you know, I'm a little bummed that we're not going to see Joe Bob again for a minute, but uh, <laughs> I think he'll be fine when we get back. To him. Um, okay. I have a good story set up that I want to do for the next arc. So, um, and really I have the next, you know, I think we're going to do three more arcs and then we might do another spinoff in between. Um, so wow. we will probably be in, you know, Ambrose County for a couple of years still. Um, but we're just taking a break and we're doing this other thing and uh, it'll be really fun. And uh, once that's announced, I'll, you know, then I'll be able to talk about it, but it's uh, all I can tell you is it's exciting. It's new. Um, it's Jake and me, you know, just like on Texas blood, but it's a completely new thing. Um, and then I'm working on something else uh, for a different publisher and then some other stuff for Oni that I'm very excited to tell you about soon okay well if we want to keep up with what you're doing uh how do we follow you on social media well you could find me on twitter and on blue sky or x if you want to call it <laughs> i can't get used to calling it i'm uh i'm i'm the i'm the guy calling it twitter still um mm -hmm. i'm on twitter and blue sky same handle at christoph condon it's christopher with at the er condon Christopher Christoph Condon. And then uh, I'm also on Patreon with Jake. We have a mutual Patreon account. It is patreon.com slash Condon Phillips. And uh, we do a lot of exclusive content. Uh, we post about, you know, just when Enfield six came out last week, um, I posted a little bit about that issue and about my thinking behind it and, and why I wrote what I wrote and, and my thoughts on it. And also a tease of something that's coming out. So we, that's one of the things we do. We give little teases of things that are coming and we might give cover exclusives um, before anybody else sees them. We do postcards every month or mostly every month. Sometimes we're running behind because we're busy. Uh, but I write letters to people once a month and, and uh, keep them updated on what I'm doing. And that's, yes, that's physical letters. I send physical letters to people. So it's fun. And that's again, slash okay, Phillips. Okay, because um, I always call it the the app formerly known as Twitter. <laughs> That's the only way I can figure it. It is actually. I just yeah. I it's it's just 
ingrained in my brain that it's called Twitter. Yeah, well. Calling it X just sounds like, uh, you know, I don't know, something from 2002. It's a little weird, but uh, well, they still call them tweets, though. That's the thing. It's an how do you call it? from X and it's a tweet? I that doesn't make sense to me, so I don't get that. Yeah, but, I, don't I don't know. know. It's all who weird. knows. Who knows? It's, it's you know, all these good things. Exactly what night people is about, Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, it's night people. Number one's going to be coming out in. Let's see. I want to make sure I get that day one last time, March sixth, and it's going to be coming out monthly after that, right? The eleventh. FOC Sorry? Is, FOC is February 11th. We should February remember. 11th. So we got to make sure you get it to your store before that so they can get it in before that date. So we got to do that. So uh, it's coming out monthly, right? Uh, about early, looks like early each month after that. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Okay. And yeah, again, good. these are, you know, 30 page issues. They're, they're jam packed with uh, good stuff. So. All right. Great. No ads, it says on here. Mature readers only, which is good stuff. So it's going to be something worth it. So it's going to be fun. Night people, number one. And you want to get all four issues. And Chris, you're doing some great stuff. And I'm glad things are percolating for you. Because it sounds like we're going to have some good reading in our future. So keep up the wonderful stuff. And I can't wait to see how well this does. Thank you very much, Wayne. I appreciate it. People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy. And I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. As a man... I'm flesh and blood, I can be ignored, I can be destroyed, but it's a symbol. Get the latest from the comics universe. News, interviews, previews, and reviews. Listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics Podcast so you can keep reading your comics. that's it for this week. Be sure to be back next time when I'll have another great interview with yet another terrific comics creator. But until then, keep reading your comics.